So biblical marriage, lesson eight, divorce and remarriage. Amen. Divorce and remarriage. So throughout these lessons, marriage as designed by God has been established as well as describing what it takes to maintain a biblical marriage. When discussing marriage, one must also discuss divorce and remarriage. Now, I, I firmly believe many people, many Christians are ignorant to divorce and remarriage because they, they don't search it out in the Word and don't understand what God's views are on it. So, more than my opinion, as we prayed, more than anything else that you gather from this, I want us to examine the Word and what it says. Because God knows that not all, no, none of us are perfect. He knows that not all of us are going to have the perfect marriage and that every spouse is just going to you know, be content or satisfied with living a life for God. Because there are going to be those that says, you know what, I'm done, I'm tired of this. Or there will be some that never serves God while their spouse desires to. So we've got to examine every situation for what it is. Because no, no situation's ever going to be exactly cookie cutter. It's never going to be exactly the same. So to say divorce is wrong, you can't say that. Or to say divorce is always right, you can't say that either. So you've got to examine every situation and every scenario and take it to the Word of God. Amen. So just as God established the institution of marriage, He knew that mankind would not be perfect in maintaining these relationships. God created guidelines for the, for the people finding themselves in this situation. Not all couples will both walk with God as they should or at all for the duration of the marriage. This is one of many reasons to ensure a biblical foundation for every relationship and find the correct qualified person to marry to prevent this situation. Because, what's the old saying? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if you can prevent things before they happen, you'll be better off in the long run. Now, granted, we all, we don't, we're not born and just know everything there is to know. It takes steps. It takes a learning process. It takes a growing up. It takes a maturing. That's why we're to go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Because we're all to be stepping up you know, all the time. You get to a level, you know, just as you're walking on natural stairs. You get to one level, well... If you stand there, you're not going to go anywhere in life. You're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to go up. You're not going to go down. So you got to make a choice. All right, am I going to go back down or am I going to go up? Hopefully you choose to go up because this is an upward calling. Amen. God doesn't call us to draw back. We're not of those who draw back, the Word says, but we're to go upwards. So that means you got to be ready to take the next step. So you take a step up. What does that mean? You have more revelation. You have more understanding. You're in the Word more. God reveals things to you. Amen. So we know that not every person will, even if they have a good foundation, a good start to things, you must maintain a relationship with your spouse and with God. Amen. So although not every person chooses to remain faithful to God or their spouse, having a proper foundation will assist in a biblical marriage that will endure when found faithful to God. So the word divorce means the action or an instance of legally dissolving a marriage. It also means separation and severance, to be cut off. As previously discussed, God is not into separation, but into joining together. 
So let's look at this verse, these verses. Malachi chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, this is New Living Translation, says, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? Now notice, there's a joining. It says, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you were His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. So that shows what God wants. He joins a man and woman together. And then what does He want? He wants godly children from their union. So notice what, what's said next. So guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because why? We know that's exactly where the enemy is going to attack. And as we've talked about for 13 or so weeks in Sunday school, what is the heart? It's what you think and keep thinking. It's what you want and keep wanting. It's what you emote and keep emoting. So part of that heart is guarding our mind. Because whatever your mind thinks and you allow it to keep thinking, that's going to get into your heart and it's going to come out in your life. Why is that important? Because if you have one thought of saying, well, I want a divorce. Now, granted, because it's not biblical reasons, as we'll get into in a minute, but just because you've had an argument or because you know, you've got some flippant reason that just by the, you're flying by the sea of your pants, all of a sudden you get irritated and say, I just want a divorce. That's not right. That's not of God. But if that thought comes, you squash it. No, nope, I'm not giving in to that. I cast that out in the name of Jesus because we're to bring every thought in the obedience of Jesus Christ. So we're to bring it into obedience to Jesus Christ and cast it out, get it out. But we'll find out that there are biblical reasons for divorce. But notice this is not God's plan. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Notice he strictly says, I hate divorce. But if God hates divorce... But yet he gives biblical reasons for it. Why? Because he knows not every marriage, not every situation is going to be perfectly walked out. So it's just like, just like the law. He gave the law out because he knew that was a way for people to be forgiven of their sins, be a way to, to handle that temporarily until Jesus would come and give his life. But what was the end goal? To redeem people back to him. The, the end goal of that was to fix what was broken. So, bringing this up in divorce, we know that in marriage, there's times where when something's broken in a marriage, maybe one person wants it fixed, the other one doesn't. So why would someone be punished for wanting it fixed, the other one doesn't? Why would the one that wants it fixed be punished the rest of their life? Because somebody's not willing to work with them and cooperate. Because we also know, as we've had a whole lesson on it, that marriage is teamwork. So if you've got a team, and one of them's trying to pull forward and plow, the other one's trying to kick and fight and trying to get away, you're not going to go anywhere. Nothing's going to get done. And the one trying to plow is going to be the one that's miserable all of their life. Well, they both will, but you understand, if one's trying to move forward, it's, it's going to be a, a hard road, a hard road to hoe. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. So now this is more of the prevention, we would say. In today's society, there is a worldwide divorce rate of 41% of first marriages. Worldwide. 
Worldwide, 41% of first marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of third marriages end in divorce. Now notice this is worldwide. So the more marriages you have, the higher the percentage goes up. Why? Because they think divorce is the answer. Oh, I'm not happy? I'm going to get divorced. I'm going to go do my own thing. That's not the answer. It's just you know, much like when people come to a church and you get a preacher that's trying to help you grow up. Well, I'm just going to quit that church. I'm going to go somewhere else. Because we all know that's the answer. <laughs> it's not. I'm being sarcastic if you, can't under, if you can't see it on my face or hear it in my voice. Just to make sure I'm plain in speech. <laughs> the top five causes of divorce. So we're going to get in now. Remember, these are secular reasons. This is not of God. I'm giving you just some statistics of what the world says. So top five causes for divorce are lack of commitment. Oh, if that was the case, I'd divorce some sheep. Lack of commitment. <laughs> Infidelity, extramarital affairs. Oh, we understand that one. That's actually a biblical reason. Too much conflict or arguing. Not a reason for divorce. Getting married too young. That's not a reason for divorce. You get some that get married at a young age, they'll last all the rest of their life and be just fine. Or, you know, if you're, if you're immature and you're not willing to work at your marriage, you can get married young and then give up within six months. I've seen that a lot. I've, seen, I've been in you know, courthouses with my job and different things and overhear people talking and people's on their fifth or sixth marriage and, and it's only been like six or seven years and I'm like, good night. And they're like younger than I am. I'm like, oh my word. But it shows the mindset, especially when you have the, the unwillingness to work at something. Ministry is W-O-R-K. Marriage is W-O-R-K. A relationship with God is W-O-R-K. <laughs> Everything involves work. And financial problems. That's the other top five causes for divorce. Financial problems. Now, if you remember, our three areas of attack that we recently talked about in a lesson, you'll find all three of these are in here. Lack of commitment. What is that? That's, we, we, could say, we could say financial, I think money, money, intimacy, and communication. So lack of commitment. Well, what does that mean? That means they don't want to talk about it. No communication there. Infidelity, extramarital affairs. There's your intimacy. Too much conflict. There's your communication. Or arguing. There's your communication. Get married too young. That's communication because if you're not willing to work it out, anybody can work out an, an issue. Financial problems, there's your money. So you can see how all of these tie back into those three things. Remember, this list is the world's reasons for divorce, not God's. Divorce is not the will of God for any marriage, but He also knows that not every marriage will begin or remain within the biblical guidelines He established. Hence why I have written this curriculum. So that way we don't have any, we don't have as much gray area. Now, is there a gray area in this curriculum? Yes, because I don't have time to dive into every scenario of everything. We would be here for 20 years teaching this same topic. So we understand that. 
So we try to hit it the best we can as, as led by the Holy Spirit. We try to cover it with the Word. And we try to keep moving because as a pastor, I've got to cover many things so we can't stay bogged down in one area too long. But you'll find if you'll dive into the Word, the Word of God sheds light on every subject you could really think about. That's why God gives us the Word. is for, to help give us understanding, give us revelation. He'll speak to us through the Word and we can have the Word to light as a light unto our feet and a light unto our path. A lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So these issues arise when sin or carnality is chosen over God's plans, God's plan for a person's life. So I'm going to say that again. These issues arise because they've always been there. They'll always be there. But what happens? When you let that arise over your relationship with God, or if you never had a relationship with God, it will rise up and then it dominates. So these issues arise when sin or carnality is chosen over God's plan for a person's life. Because with God's help, I'm thinking of a verse right now. I think it says, with God, all things are possible. So that means you can overcome any situation, any scenario. To some degree. We're going to get into maybe one or two that's hard to overcome, but with God, all things are possible, so we don't want to exclude it completely. So let us look at what God says about reasons for divorce. So biblical reasons for divorce. God allows divorce in certain circumstances. Notice these are on His terms, not ours. Adultery, abuse, and abandonment are the three overall categories in the Bible. The Bible gives reasons for divorce. So adultery, abuse, and abandonment. Now each of these categories can go into different issues within a person's life, but the biblical picture covers these areas as legitimate for divorce. When following God's protocol for divorce, remarriage can be pursued if desired at the appropriate time and with a qualified person. Notice it's got to be the appropriate time and the qualified person. I've known people to get a divorce. The very next week, they're married to somebody else. That shows they were not mature enough to properly handle that divorce and to walk through things biblically or correctly. So number one, adultery. Adultery may be the easiest to understand of the biblical reasons for divorce. When adultery is committed by a spouse, the trust and purity of that marriage have been compromised. Once trust and purity of a marriage have been compromised, without God, it will never be fully taken care of. It can never be fully restored without Him. Because I've known couples, there's a couple you know, within my own family that they you know, succumb to this, but they're still together. But you can, you, and when you speak to them, there's always something in, in the, the faithful one's mind of, are they really being faithful to me right now? Are they really where they say that they're at? Why? Because that trust and that purity has been broken. It's been tarnished. It's been compromised. So that now for the rest of that person's life, the, the one that was faithful will have that in the back of their mind. Now, with God, can they overcome it? Yes. But you know the enemy's going to poke. He's going to poke at that all the time. He's going to keep poking that button. Keep poking that button. And it's not good. That's why it's important to remain in a faithful walk with God and a faithful walk with your spouse. 
A compromised marriage is not an impossible marriage to have restored, but it is a major task that can only be completed through God. Exodus 20.14 and Deuteronomy 5.18, New Living Translation says, You must not commit adultery. Both verbatim. You must not commit adultery. Why? Because you're going to taint your marriage. You're going to break trust and create the purity to be null and void. As stated within the Bible multiple times, adultery is wrong in God's eyes no matter the circumstance. No matter the circumstance, adultery is wrong. I don't care what preacher says that they don't have adultery, but they do. There's many preachers that will do that very same thing. Adultery is wrong, but then they'll, after service, they'll go have sex with somebody that's not their wife or their husband. That's not a true walk with God. That shows that their, their idol has become themselves and the things of their life as opposed to God. Adultery is wrong in God's eyes no matter the circumstance. It must be stated that adultery begins in the heart before it is carried out from the body. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. This is where Jesus says, You've heard that thou, thou shalt not commit adultery. But he says, I tell you, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart already. That shows the adultery, according to Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy One, the Messiah, the Savior, says it begins in your heart and in your mind, and it's already taken place. Amen. This is why we bring every thought into the captivity of Jesus Christ and the obedience of Him. So Matthew 5, 31 and 32, New Living Translation says, You have heard the law that says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. So in other words, in the Old Testament, Moses established, he says, if, if you find a fault in your wife, you can give her a written bill of divorcement and it's settled. Now you see how easy that is? You find something wrong with her. Oh, you mean like what they do today. I don't love you anymore. I'm going to go sign this piece of paper. We're done. But that, does that make it right in God's eyes? Let's see what Jesus says. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, we're going to look at this from a different translation here in just a little bit. But notice these verses. Jesus says, unless she's been unfaithful. That's the only reason what Jesus gives here. That's the reason that he lists here is the only reason that, she, that you can divorce her is if she's been unfaithful. Now, granted, we could flip that around. If the man's been unfaithful, the, the wife has the right to divorce him. We understand that. But for this example, it was usually the man who would do such the act of divorce. Here, Jesus brings up the use of the Old Testament law that states a man can give his wife a written divorce, but he is calling out their hypocrisy to use it when it is not substantiated by biblical reason. Because what, what God found and what Jesus is referring to is many times they would do that just because they were unhappy. Well, what does that do? That marks their now ex-wife with a mark that nobody wants her. She's been unfaithful because that's what they think in their mind. Obviously, Billy Bob got rid of his wife, so everybody stay away from Billy Bob's ex-wife now. She's no good. It marked that person. Why? Well, 
by what he's saying, it's because she's been unfaithful. But tr to the true heart of it, Billy Bob lied because he just got mad. You can see the hypocrisy in that. Mark somebody with a unsubstantiated declaration. Oh, that sounds like bearing false witness. Hmm. <laughs> but Jesus is also stating that unfaithfulness is a biblical reason for divorce. So he's kind of slapping them in the face with, with the, their hypocrisy, but he's also calling out the only reason that he declares here is because of unfaithfulness. This would, all, this would include adultery or other sexual, sexual immorality as the proper use of divorce. So Deuteronomy 22.22, If a man be found lying, committing adultery, not lying as in with his tongue, lying, laying down, committing adultery with a woman married to an husband, then they both, they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So shalt thou put away evil from Israel. If we lived that by that today, there'd be a lot of preachers that were dead. That's sad, but it's true. There'd be a lot of people just in general that'd be dead. <laughs> The Old Testament method of handling adultery is old-fashioned stoning to death. You know, we can all think about the, the, the passage of Scripture when they brought the, very, the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, they brought her to Jesus. Well, what did he do? Jesus didn't say, all right, well, let's stone her. Let's, let's grab rocks, boys. It's not what he did. He, he said he began to write in the dirt. And then he said, ye without sin cast the first stone. Almost makes you, it makes you wonder, what was he writing? Could have been their sin? Could have been other things? What, what was he writing? Because he obviously made them drop their rocks and walk away. Because <laughs> they said, mm, yep, he just wrote down the woman I was having an affair with. I'm going to walk away now. He just wrote down her name. The Bible doesn't specifically say what he wrote down, but we know that there's something that obviously he knew their hearts. He knew where they stood, and he knew when he called them out without saying a word, they were going to lay down their rocks and walk away. Why? Because we know that God still wants us restored unto him. So even adultery, even the things we're going to talk about tonight, does not mean that you're hopeless, does not mean that you can't go back to God. We understand that. But I also want to lay what God's Word says because lay it out before us to see God's Word in, in entirety of what biblical marriage really looks like. Because although one person may want biblical marriage, if their spouse goes and, and commits adultery or does one of these things that we talk about, adultery, abandonment, and abuse, then by God's Word, they're not bound to that person any longer. They have the biblical right to say, God has, Jesus Christ died for me. I'm a new creature. I don't have to be bound to this the rest of my life. Amen. Both parties were to be killed for such an act against the, this institution of God. This would in turn release the faithful spouse from any guilt or wrongdoing to be free to marry again. So notice, even God's law, the one that Moses handed out to all the people, in essence, released the faithful ones. Why? Because their, their spouse died from, their, they died from their punishment. So, although it was adultery, because there was a punishment that was suited for that, according to the law, then they were released from that person. 
Amen. See, at least the grace of God now says you can divorce that person and maybe eventually they'll get their life right with God. Maybe there's still a chance. <laughs> Whereas you start stoning people, where they, where, where, whatever condition they died in is where they're going to go. So at least even that's, in a way, a, the mercy of God for that person that committed sin to say, at least I've got some time, maybe I can make it right with God. Amen. Since this has been taken away as punishment, adultery can be handled with divorce if the faithful spouse desires to not reconcile. Notice it's your choice. Because as I mentioned, the, fa- the person in the family I have, that you know, I told them, I said, you actually have a biblical right for divorce. And they said, I don't want that. I want to be reconciled. I said, all right, we'll pray that you can be reconciled. I mean, it's, it's their choice. I mean, just because, you know, somebody sins doesn't mean you have to cut them off and turn them away. But especially with this, you have the biblical right to. But you also got to know on the back end of that, if you choose to reconcile and to try to make it right and to keep that spouse around, you know you're going to have to deal with that the rest of your life, fighting that temptation, that doubt and fear in your mind. So you've got to be ready for that battle. So Matthew 19, 8 and 9 says, he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts. Notice he didn't say, he didn't say unto them, Moses done it because God said so. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts. It's almost like Moses is trying to accustom something to you guys because you're so hard hearted. Suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. He's saying the original plan God had was not for divorce. But, Jesus goes on to say, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be fornication, sexual immorality, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So in other words, if somebody puts away their wife, Notice this says, except for it be fornication. So if, if he puts away his wife and says, just because I'm tired of looking at you, we don't get along anymore, I'm, I'm just, I don't want to be with you. And he puts her away. Whoever he marries and whoever she marries is both committing adultery. That's the Word of God. But we can say God gives grace. God helps us, as we're going to learn about in a few minutes. So just hang on with me. Jesus is giving the reason, again here, for sexual immorality being a legitimate reason for divorce. Because notice, even after all of that, Jesus says, if except, except fornication, we would say sexual immorality, because we know it would be adultery because they're married. So he's saying if it's, if it's not for that, then you're committing adultery. But if fornication or adultery is there, then you have a legitimate reason to part ways. But God allowed Moses to give divorce as a method of separation. But notice that Jesus states that was not God's plan from the beginning. So number two is abuse. Abuse can be broken into many categories. No abuse is acceptable. No abuse is acceptable. I don't care if it's emotional. I don't care if it's you know, physical, I don't care if it's verbal, no abuse is acceptable. But physical abuse 
can lead to injury or even death. Now, we could say a psychological, a verbal, or mental or emotional abuse could lead to suicide. We understand that. But as far as a reason for separation, we could, we could, we could probably add that in, but we know that physical abuse, because usually somebody that, that has physical abuse, let's say the man against the wife, it can be the wife against the husband, but you'll find for the most part it's the, men, the man against the wife. So if he's abusing his wife, and she doesn't get out of that relationship, it's just going to keep stepping up. It's going to keep stepping up. Because he's going to say, well, that didn't work. Obviously, i got to hit her harder. I know it's sick, it's twisted, it's demented, but that's the way that the enemy works. Because the enemy likes to get darker and darker and darker and darker. The enemy doesn't back off. The enemy, the enemy likes to get darker and darker. If he knows he's got fingers and toe holds in, in, in an area, he's going to keep bringing darkness with him. He's not going to let it go unless he has to. So physical abuse can lead to injury or death. Jesus describes that abuse is not acceptable even when evangelizing. Matthew 10, 23. He says, if they show you violence... You have the right to dust your feet off. He says, if they don't accept you, if they show you violence, they're cruel and mean to you, then even when you're evangelizing, when you're preaching the gospel, Jesus says you have the biblical right, you have the right to walk away to dust your feet off. And what does that do? That means that you're, the chance that they had to hear the gospel to make things right with God, you're shaking your dust off, and that almost seals their fate. So if Jesus says it's unacceptable for evangelism, why would he say, well, you can't do it when you're preaching the gospel, but you've got to stay married to it? <laughs> he doesn't. If Jesus does not allow abuse when preaching the gospel, why would he command a person to remain in the same house with an abusive person? Even the apostles did not stay in places that were abusive to them. Acts 14, 5, and 6. When abuse is the norm for a person, there is a true issue. Now, granted, I'm not excusing it at all. But you take somebody on a very bad day, have a knee-jerk reaction to hit somebody. But it's out of their character. Now, like I said, I'm not excusing that. That does not make it right. But when that's the exception of something's happened, and all of a sudden they have a knee-jerk reaction and they hit somebody, you can say, all right, that is out of their character you know, you still got to work through that. There still needs to be forgiveness. There still needs to be that taken care of. But you could say, all right, that's not their character. That may not happen again. Now, I know everybody's kind of looking at me awful hard, but the heart of what I'm saying is if, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I come back from Afghanistan and things, Elijah, we had this thing where we would, you know, aggravate each other and pop out, hey, you know, like that, and kind of jump out at each other. Well, one day... I, I don't remember if we were in one of our basements or somewhere in the houses that we lived. And all of a sudden, I come walk around the corner. He jumps out, hey, like that. And I drew, I drew back, and I was about to punch him in the face because it jolted something in me that was so out of character. And if I hadn't have caught myself, I'd have probably hit him. Now, is that out of character for me? Yes, because I do not hit my boys unless I'm using the proper paddle, proper method on their rear end to correct something. So that, for me to even do this to one of my sons, is completely out of character. Now, has it happened again? No. There's been a couple of times where I've, you know, you know, kind of jerked back, kind of moved, 
but not draw back my fist. Why? Because I had to work on that. I had to train my body. I had to train my mind. That's not how I react. I'm not in Afghanistan anymore. I don't have these reactions. I'm in a safe place. I'm in America. I'm in my home. I trained myself to say there's no heightened sense of security around me right now. So that, that would be, it's kind of what I'm talking about, what I'm referencing. That one time out of character, whether they hit or not, you can see that that needs, still needs to be trained. doesn't make it right, but it needs to be trained and dealt with so that it doesn't keep happening and become the norm. But when abuse is the norm, it happens and it happens and it happens. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. They turn around the next day or two and then do it again. That is no way to live. That is abuse and it does not, it should not stay. So we can see how, you know, me being a pastor, me being a preacher and trying to, to give you the word on this, we can see how anybody could butcher something like this, chop it up into pieces, put it on the internet, and you can see how they could butcher it and try to slander. Because I say, well, one time, and then they'll edit stuff out to say, well, that's acceptable. No, it's not. So you've got to hear what I'm saying in its entirety and catch the heart of what I'm saying. Because even as a man, I'm still not going to say things 100% accurate or 100% right. So you've got to catch the heart of it and listen to it by the Spirit of God. So again, when abuse is the norm for the person, this is a true issue. Recognizing abuse as opposed to looking for an excuse to be released from marriage is an issue that each spouse must be honest in judging their spouse, themselves, and with God. I can give you a high-profile a high case right now of two people that, that's in court, and both of them are declaring domestic violence. Now, were both of them probably involved? Yeah, probably. Truth be told, they're probably both guilty of doing something. But they're both making the other one try to look bad as possible so they can win. So in our hearts, in our minds, we can say, well, my, you know, my husband or my wife abused me. When in your mind, you know they really didn't, but you're looking for a biblical reason to get a divorce. So you, that's the reason I say you've got to judge it because God, you can't fool God. You can try to fool your own heart. You can try to fool everybody around you. But God sees it, and God's going to know whether it's a biblical reason or not. Amen. The Bible gives clear instructions for relationships to be good and not abusive. Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Never treat them harshly. This says harshly. This doesn't even say don't be abusive because the Word says don't even treat them harshly. That's less. <laughs> That's less than abusive. Don't even treat them that way. Don't even be harsh. Don't even you know, be mean to them. Amen. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Notice, there's abuse. The Bible tells us not to do it. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. No abuse should be permitted within a marriage. Verbal abuse can create psychological damage to the abused person and break down all the aspects of a marriage. This is no manner to have a marriage if with anyone, husband or wife. Abuse displays a lack of self-control and a love of God working in that person's life. If somebody's really abusive, they don't really love God. Ephesians 5, 28 through 30 says, So husbands ought to also to love their own wives as their own bodies, 
He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Biblical husbands, notice I say biblical husbands, love their wives as their own bodies. This is a reflection of two becoming one, Matthew 19, 5 and 6 and Genesis 2, 24. Because if you are one with your wife, you're not, you shouldn't be abusing your own body because she has become your body. Just like the wife shouldn't abuse the husband because that's her body. For any husband to abuse his wife displays the disconnect of heart from his wife, but also disobedience toward God and His Word. Now, Malachi 2.16, the New English translation. I hate divorce. Of course, we read this at the beginning. But God says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and the one who is guilty of violence. Now, notice in the other version, it talks about you bring a cruelty upon your wife. This version here says, and the one who is guilty of violence. He says, not only do I hate divorce, but I hate you if you're causing violence. Says the Lord who rules over all. But notice he goes on to say, pay attention to your conscience and do not be unfaithful. He says here, pay attention to your conscience. Pay attention to what you think. Why? Because that will get into your heart and it will come out in your life. He says, do not be unfaithful. God hates divorce as well as the person guilty of violence. This type of violence reflects unfaithfulness to the marriage. Each spouse should not only be in love, be in love, but walk in love with their spouse every day. You can say, oh, I love you. I love you. That's usually what the abuser says, too. I'm reminded of a movie I watched as a kid. I shouldn't have had no business watching it as a kid. But somehow I run across it. And this guy would get drunk. Like, of course, it seen on the movie, it was like every night. He'd get drunk and he'd, he'd beat this kid and he'd beat the, the kid's mom, which he stayed with. So, to the movie, I do not recommend it. But I think about this when I, when I think about these scenarios. Because he would, he, would, he would yell at the kid. The kid's probably 10 or 12 years old. He says, I hate you, I hate you, I wish you'd die, I hate you, but I love you, mama. Now, you can say, well, that's just a movie, Pastor. There's people that live like that. There are people that truly live like that. Now, as much as we can say, well, that's just, that's not my family, praise God. There, are, there is somebody's family that lives like that. And that's sad, and it's not what God has planned for people. So God hates divorce as well as the person guilty of violence. This type of violence reflects unfaithfulness to marriage. Each spouse should not only be in love, but walk in love with their spouse every day. Walking in the love of God with a spouse displays faithfulness to both God and the spouse. Why? Because if you're producing the fruit of the Spirit, one of those is faithfulness. Amen. So our last reason is abandonment. Abandonment begins in the heart and is followed through action, if not corrected within the mind. Just like these other ones, abuse and adultery, if not corrected, not caught in the mind, not corrected, it'll come out in life. The Bible clearly states that any believer that has an unbelieving spouse is given the ability to let the unbelieving spouse choose. Notice there's a choice. What they desire to do with no repercussions on the believing spouse. 1 Corinthians 7, 
14 and 15. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Why? Because he's an unbeliever. She is. She goes and does the things of God. And if he stays, he's sanctified by her. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. So you can see the reversal of the roles there. Else were your children unclean. But now are they holy. But, now let me, let me clarify something real quickly before we move on. That sanctified by the wife does not mean they'll make heaven. Because nobody else's relationship can get somebody else into heaven. I just want to clarify that just for streaming, just for all of us here to make sure that we understand that. Just because an unbelieving husband has a holy wife does not mean the, un the unbelieving husband will get into heaven. That means that their home is blessed. The things that they have is blessed because of her. Because she's proving herself faithful to God, God's going to honor her heart, honor her tithe, honor what she's doing for him, and he reaps the benefits because he's in the same house. So not because he gets to go to heaven. That's not the case. Because Jesus says, I am the only way, not through your spouse, not through any other religion. We'll go, we, our mind will go with the other religion, but we also must say it can't go through our spouse or our parents either. We all have our own walk with God. So continuing on. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. He's saying if you're a believer, and they say they're an unbeliever, they don't believe, and they say, I don't want any part with this, I want to leave. Then that person has the right to say, may you go in peace. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. Notice what Paul is saying here. If that unbeliever chooses to leave, they choose to leave. Not, well, you're either going to church or I'm kicking you out. You're either going to church or we're getting divorced. No, it's not like that. They choose to leave. Why? Probably because you convict them so much. And they're like miserable and they don't want to give in to the things of God. So they want to leave. They don't want to be around you. But it says a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such case. But God hath called us to peace. Amen. Now, now, the verse, I didn't add to this, but we could. If you continue reading in this whole passage of 1 Corinthians 7, you'll also see that it says, If the unbeliever chooses not to depart, let them stay together. Now, I probably could have added that in here. It would have brought on a whole other, probably two or three paragraphs, but I can see we're already closing in on time. Either way, we still this is important, so we'll cover it. So you can, go, you can go ahead and go back and read that in 1 Corinthians 7. It's within this same passage here. But it says, if they choose this to remain, let them remain. But it's their choice. Just like Drew Sergeant Odom. It's choice day, privates. Just like in the Old Testament, I set before you life and death. Choose life. But if they choose death, that's their choice. If the unbelieving spouse chooses to leave the marriage, the believing spouse is released from guilt or of wrongdoing. I tried to word that there because it's not just wrongdoing because you're free from that, but you're also free from the guilt of wrongdoing. Because notice what, what Paul says, is not under bondage in such cases. That, that doesn't just mean the bondage of being tied to that person. That means the bondage of guilt, the bondage of shame, the bondage of all of that. Because why? Because that person chose to walk off. That person chose to leave. 
So with this release of guilt, remarriage can happen for the believing spouse to enjoy biblical marriage to another believing person at the appropriate time. So notice how much believing I tried to put in there for you. <laughs> believing person stays faithful. It, the, other, the unbelieving spouse walks away. Now they can enjoy biblical marriage. Why? Because they have the doctrine of biblical marriage. To who? The, another believing person, not to some other unbelieving person. Because you'll, re, you'll relive that vicious cycle again but also at the appropriate time. Matthew 5.32 says, But I can guarantee that any man who divorces his wife for any reason other than unfaithfulness, notice this, makes her look as though she has committed adultery. Makes her look as though she has committed adultery. Why? Because remember, this is also what we read earlier, where Jesus calls out that hypocrisy. He said, because what they had a habit of doing is they said, all right, I'm tired of living with this one. I want this one over here. Because you know, men, especially back in those days, they weren't going to just jump from, well, I'm tired of this one. I'm just going to live alone for a little while. No, they had their eye on somebody else. Much like most marriages when they end today, it's because they got their eye on somebody else and either they're having an affair with that person and finally want to get tired of hiding. And so they divorce this person and go after that one. Or they got their eye on that one. They haven't done anything yet, but they want to, and so they get rid of this one. That's pathetic. That's not the way God instituted marriage. Anyway, back to this. But he was calling out, he's, again in this verse, he's calling out their hypocrisy because he says, if you give her that bill of divorcement, you make it look like she's the one that committed adultery. Even if she has or hasn't, you're making it look like she did. Whoever marries a woman divorced in this way makes himself look as though. Notice, now we've went from it's being that to it looks as though they're, they're the ones that committed adultery. So if a man gives his wife a, a divorce, even though if she's been faithful and he, and he has other plans, he gives her that bill of divorcement, she goes off, everybody thinks bad of her. Because you've got to remember the mindset, of, especially in the Old Testament, and Jesus' time, because they were still under the law, everything was run by the man, much like third world nations. You go into Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, places like that, it's all about the men. The women have no say, so it's all the men. So if the man says, I'm tired, I want somebody else, then the woman's the one with the fault. Does, is that right? No, not, not at all. But we can see Jesus is, again, he's calling this out unto them. He says, you make it look like that, that she's the one that's guilty. Now, if somebody else says, you know what? I'm really in love. I've been in love with her for so long, but she married this other guy. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it right. I'm going to make her be alone any longer. Well, if they, get, if they get connected, they get married. Now, it looks like they're the two that were having the divorce is the reason that the first guy divorced her. You see how this is all jumbled up. But it's, so it's important that we, first of all, marry the right person at the right time. But two, as we grow and we learn and we have you know, better doctrine, we have better understanding, that we get this correct as much as we can according to the Word of God so that we can give all glory and honor to Him. So whoever marries a woman divorced in this way makes himself look as though he has committed adultery, even though it may not even be the case. That's what Jesus is calling out. This is a form of abandonment. When a spouse chooses to leave their spouse for any reason other than adultery, 
We could also say abuse could arguably be added. It makes the spouse that has been left behind look like the guilty one with the issue. In today's courts, one spouse can end a marriage with a stroke of a pen. When a proper resolution has not been sought, sought or it is an unbiblical reason, this is abandonment. Just because they have a reason, but even with that, that means we just can't get along. We don't want to get along, however you'd like to look at it. You know, you can make up any excuse to have to get a divorce, but it doesn't make it right in God's eyes. But I know a couple right now that they were both going to church. The lady started losing her mind, started thinking everybody was against her. She was paranoid. And because she didn't control her mind, she, didn't, she quit listening to her husband and really went off the deep end in some regards. She wound up divorcing him. He tried to fight for their marriage. Nothing he could do about it. The court says she wants it. We're giving it to her. And he was left high and dry. He'd done everything he could. Now, I mean, as far as I know, she's, she's went to another church. She does things, you know, in that regard where she, you know, has the appearance that she still loves God. But because she didn't control her mind and get her thought life under control, it costs not only her, her marriage, and him, his marriage, but now it's also put, you know, their children into an aspect of life that they'll never have back together. But it's abandonment. When the faithful spouse is faced with their spouse leaving and all attempts of restoration have been made, the faithful spouse is free from wrong and can remarry if desired. But I notice all attempts have got to be made. But again, it's, uh, it's the other person's choice. If they choose they don't want to do this anymore and they want to walk away, that's their choice. So remarriage. Remarriage is one topic along with divorce that many Christians will not always agree on. But the Bible gives guidelines for those that may face this situation. I know many Christians, and almost all of them have different stances on divorce and remarriage. Some of them are some of them have scripture to back things up. Some of them just that's the way mom and daddy said it was. That's the way I believe. We got to judge things by the word of God. <laughs> nothing, nothing outranks the word of God. So as you can see tonight, this is another reason why I try to lay all this out for us so we can judge it by the word. Although this topic has been covered in small doses within this lesson already, let us look at some points on this topic. So I kind of outlined this a little quicker so we don't have to dive into it because I've mentioned it a few times tonight in the, in the lesson already. But remarriage after, de- after the death of a spouse is permitted. I have scripture to back that up. Romans 7, 3, 1 Corinthians 7, 39. Remarriage for the faithful spouse after divorce due to abandonment is, is permitted. 1 Corinthians 7, 14 and 15. Remarriage for the unfaithful spouse is adultery. I'm not batting an eye at that. I don't care what anybody else says. Remarriage for an unfaithful spouse is adultery. Matthew 5, 32. Matthew 19, 9. Luke 16, 18. Mark 10, 11. Hebrews 13, 4. With that amount of scripture, you can't argue that. Remarriage for the faithful spouse after divorce from adultery is permitted. Matthew 5.32, Matthew 19.8-9, Matthew 1.19. Now, Matthew 1.19, if you, if you go and look that up, and I, I encourage you to look all of these verses up, but Matthew 1.19 is about Joseph because 
he was on the verge of marrying her and he sought to divorce her privately. Why? Because he thought she had been unfaithful. But notice what he did. He was going to do it privately. So that way it wouldn't bring shame upon her. It wouldn't bring shame upon him. They were going to do it privately where he could go off and remarry and do and live his life. Because he was free. He hadn't done anything. But when God intervened and said, no, 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 Joseph, don't, don't, jump, don't jump the gun here. Calm down. It's okay. This is of me. This is proper. Then, of course, we know the story from there. We know the, what happens. So remarriage after divorce should be given spiritual oversight due to restoration just as a person that is restored after sin. Galatians 6.1 So when somebody, gets, when somebody desires to be remarried after divorce, they need spiritual oversight. Why? Because if you had a hand, which you probably did because nobody's perfect, and the divorce to begin with, then you need maturing in that area so that you don't repeat the cycle in your next marriage. Amen. Now, our last point, remarriage after becoming a Christian and being forgiven of sins is permitted. 2 Corinthians 5.17 and 1 John 1.9. Now, with this, I want to elaborate on this for a minute. Remarriage after becoming a Christian and being forgiven of sins is permitted. Because we all know, if, if you read, I think, it's, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we become a new creature in Christ. So it doesn't matter anything that's in your past. When you cry out unto God and you say, Father, I need a Savior. Jesus, please forgive me. Father, please forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me. All of that stuff gets washed away. Because when you become a new creature in Christ, everything that you've done before then is null and void. Because that's part of the justification process. It's just as if it never happened. We do have to give an account after we've been, after we've been born again. We do have to give an account for everything we've done, even though we've, you know, we've you know, given it all to God. We understand that. But because we have made that sacrifice, we've cried out to God for that sacrifice because you can't keep going back and Jesus be crucified over and over and over again for you. But it can still be forgiven, but we must give an account for every word that we say, everything that we do. But Jesus washes away our sins when we first cry out to Him to be born again. So, with that, say, say if you've gotten divorced before you were a Christian, or say you've you know, been born again and all of a sudden you want to get remarried, or things of that nature. Remarriage after becoming a Christian and being forgiven of sins is permitted. Because when you become a new creature in Christ and you cry out unto God and He's forgiven you, then He's not going to hold all of those things over your head and say, well, you were married before, now you can't get married again. Because if you become a new creature, why would He hold you to the old lifestyle? Let's say that you buy a new vehicle. So, when you go to pay for that, you renew your tags every year for that new vehicle, are they still going to make you pay for the old vehicle? No. What did they make you pay for? The vehicle you're in now. So why would God make you pay for whatever you did in this old vehicle and make you continue to pay for it year after year after year if you're already in another vehicle? 
So if God's forgiven you, you're a new creature in Christ, He's not going to hold that because that title, that deed of all that sin has already been taken away and already been washed away. It's been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what we owe now is what we're at now. To say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. You saw I sinned? Forgive me. Help me. we got to do that every day because we're not perfect. I hate to burst your bubble. None of us are perfect. <laughs> not even me. I'm sorry. I hate to tell you that. But 1 John 1.9 says, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we confess. So we confess, we cry to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to help us. Amen. So God forgives sin when people seek forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Everyone has a past, but if that past has been forgiven through Jesus Christ, that person has become new. So may Christians seek God to the pleasing unto Him to be pleasing unto Him in every aspect of life and live holy lives according to the Bible. Now, I, I wanted the word that so that we know even through a divorce, even through remarriage, even through a biblical marriage, no matter where you're at, that everything that we do, that we live holy as best as we can. We get rid of the sin. We get rid of things in our life that don't belong, but we give all glory and honor to God. Say, so, Father, I didn't, I didn't know that. Thank you for enlightening me. Thank you for helping me. Now may I live holy unto you. Because even, even if you have to you know, get a divorce, or even if you do get remarried, or even if you, you know, your marriage is, is still, you know, you're still working on your marriage, no matter what the situation is, everything we do must be holy and unto God. So we see the stage that we're in in life and we say, Father, help me, give me wisdom and may my life honor you in every way possible. Even though I'm imperfect, imperfect, even though everything in my life is not perfect, may I still give you glory and honor and may you give me wisdom to do everything I need to do according to your word. And you know what? You'll find that he's faithful and he will not leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Amen.